All right, so um, I forgot to mention earlier, but uh, this uh, starting last Sunday was actually the, um, uh, my 11th uh, anniversary at the church. So, so and, the, and this Sunday marks 11 years being actually ordained. I snuck a week in on you uh, a week early, um, but, um, but uh, it's been a, uh, continues to be a joy and privilege to serve uh, the Church of Bailey Presbyterian. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the Word of God. We have uh, a number of passages we're going to be in, and our focus uh, today is going to be uh, on verse 19 in uh, the Great Commission, but I'm going to go ahead and read verses 18 through 20 of Matthew 28. So hear the Word of the Lord. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. For, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we are continuing in this uh, series on the mission of the church and our support of the work of missions. And to do this, we are working our way through the Great Commission of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 that we just read. And last week, we focused on verse 18 and the grounding of our mission as a church and the work of missions, and that, we, that the, the, both of these fall under or are grounded specifically in Christ himself, wherein, as we just read, he declares to his disciples that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And by that authority, he issues a great command. Go, make disciples of all nations. This involves going, baptizing, and teaching, which we will uh, focus on next week. But they all these, those participles are surrounding the central verb, the central command, which is to make disciples of the nations. And that is our focus today. And the main question I want to answer today is, why is this the command that Jesus gives? Why is disciple-making the thing he tells us to do? Why doesn't he tell us to do something else? Could Jesus have told us to do something else? Why could he have said, uh, go and, uh, and provide humanitarian relief to all the world? Could he, could he have said, go and, and, and build up a Christian nation state or empire? Why didn't he say those? And there's a lot of confusion about what the mission of the church is. Even if we agree that uh, it is to make disciples of all nations we may struggle to define exactly what that entails. And all this matters because being a Christian is about more than being in a social club or a volunteer organization. It is costly to be a Christian in a whole host of ways. It is costly for our missionaries who leave home, who leave their country, to serve the Lord in foreign lands. Further, this 
this, this command that we're given of making disciples, this is part of our fundamental identity. We are disciples ourselves. And as a group of Christian disciples here at Bailey, we have been issued a command by Christ himself with all the authority in the universe. And today, we're going to dig in to get at the heart of Christ's command to make disciples of all nations. And what I am contending today is that Christ could not have, he could not have, commanded something other than he did. This is not because Christ lacks power or authority or ability to make commands. Rather, it is, and it is the, this point in this sermon today only has one point with five subpoints. One point. One point. That making disciples of the nations is at the center of God's redemptive design. Making disciples of all nations is at the center of God's redemptive design. It was his plan. This is why Christ could not have commanded something else. Because this is the plan of God. And we give you five reasons today why this is so. First, and they're proceeding in a way that makes sense, maybe only to me, uh, but it's kind of starting at the beginning and then moving towards the end chronologically is how I'm, my, my mind is organizing these. But first, making disciples of all nations is the fulfillment of the covenant. Making disciples of the nations is the fulfillment of the covenant promises. Specifically, I am thinking of this thing like we like to call the covenant of grace that goes from essentially Genesis 3.15, the promise that God made to Adam and Eve, and goes all the way, stretches all the way to the end of the book of Revelation in our Bibles. But even in that, I'm looking specifically at the covenant that God made with Abram in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, verses 1 through 3 of that chapter, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." And so here God calls Abram out, we learn elsewhere from Ur, which is kind of pre-Babylon, okay, and makes to Abram great promises of people, place, and blessing. In effect, it is an expansion of the promise that God made to Eve when he promised her that one would come from her line who would crush the serpent and repair what had gone so terribly wrong. But we need to zero in on that very last part in verse 3, that in Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just Abram's family, all the families of the earth. Because God goes on after Genesis 12 to ratify this promise in, the, in this great covenant ceremony in Genesis 15, where it is made clear that Abram was justified by faith and that the covenant itself, uh, the execution of that covenant, relied entirely upon God. He literally made Abram go to sleep while he made it. 
in Genesis 17, God comes to Abram. He reaffirms his promise and gives him a new name. In Genesis 17, verses 4 and 5, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which it means exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And God goes on further and to, to reaffirm this very point that he's going to bless the nations through Abram and Abraham specifically. In Genesis 18, 18, God speaks about Abraham almost kind of talking to himself that the divine plan is for all the nations of the earth to be blessed in him. After the near sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22, verse 18, God ratifies the covenant with Abraham and says, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And he does it again with Isaac in, in Genesis 26. And he says it, does it again with Jacob in Genesis 28. He talks about the nations of the earth being blessed through Abraham's line. The point here is that from its inception, the covenant that God made with, uh, with, uh, with Abram was not centered upon building a nation state of Israel uh, that would last into all eternity, but blessing the nations through the line of Abraham. The Apostle Paul is very clear on this point, both in the chapter 4 of the book of Romans and in Galatians chapter 3. In fact, he says to the Christians who have adopted this view that, that, God, that one must you know, love Jesus and then also earn God's favor by obedience to the Old Testament or Old Covenant law, he's, he, uh, he, he says to them in, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, not those who are circumcised and follow the Old Testament law. That's, he's saying that's not the sons of Abraham anymore. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's Genesis 12.3. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So look at how Paul interprets the covenant promise in Genesis 12.3. He calls it God preaching the gospel to Abraham. That is amazing. He calls it the gospel. And the certain promise that the Gentiles would be justified by faith in Christ as the Jewish people. And so... Uh, and, and so all that is to say that the command to make disciples of the nations is the outworking of the promise that God made uh, with Abraham to bless the nations through his offspring. That, that offspring, Paul says, that through, through whom the gospel comes, the blessing of the nations comes, is found not in many people, but in one person particular, who is the true offspring of Israel, the true Israel of God, Jesus Christ. And so God now, through Christ and His Spirit, lives in us. 
He's blessed the nations in the person of Christ. And Christ lives in us through his spirit and commands us to go out and bless the nations with the message of the gospel. Because anyone who believes the gospel message has become Abraham's offspring and an heir of the promises of the covenant. As Paul says later in chapter 3, verses 27 to 29, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all in one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So making disciples, the reason we are commanded to make disciples of all the nations is that, it is, uh, is that it is the fulfillment of the covenant promises and the revelation of the gospel. Secondly, um, making disciples of the nations is the fulfillment of prophecy. Now this is certainly con- uh, uh, connected to the fulfillment of the covenants because those also came with prophecies. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, this is a really interesting uh, uh, quote from Jesus, where Jesus says to, the, to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out, his, out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Um, that is, the good news of the kingdom of God is the, is the new, full revelation of God, which comes from what is past, and what has been commanded, what has been prophesied before. That phrase there that says, scribe who has been trained, that is the word uh, that is used for making disciples. Every scribe who has been made a disciple for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Every scribe who is an expert of the law was one who would pull out the new and the old together because the new fulfills the old. The gospel is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, Old Covenant prophecies. There are a lot of texts we could turn to. Uh, A good one is Isaiah 49, verse 6, where the Lord says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved preserved of Israel. Notice, Notice what he's saying there. The Lord's saying, it's... It's not enough. It's too, it's, it's too small. We can go bigger, right? <laughs> we can go bigger. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isn't it interest, interesting that Jesus tells his disciples that they are the light? As, as we, we are illuminated by Christ in the light of grace. It was prophesied that the Messiah would come and would be rejected by his people as part, uh, uh, in part that by that rejection, the light of grace would go out to the nations. In fact, Paul and Barnabas cite this specific text in Acts 13, verse 47, as a fulfillment of prophecy, which explains why they are turning uh, from, uh, from the, uh, the Jewish people to the Gentiles. They say in Acts 13, 48, and, when the Gentile, and, and this was the response to when they said that. The Gentiles heard this. And what did they do? They began to rejoice and, glor- and glorifying the word of God. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. 
Jesus, after his resurrection, told some of his disciples on the road, uh, made a very explicit statement. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus is saying that the prophecies concerning the Christ were in part about the proclamation of the gospel to the nations. This was always the plan. So the command to make disciples of the nations is the fulfillment of old covenant prophecy concerning the light of God going out into the world, especially to the Gentiles. Third, making disciples of all the nations is part of God's purpose in our redemption. In the opening of his letter to the book of Romans, Paul makes clear that the grace and apostleship that were bestowed upon him, he says in chapter 1, verse 5, were for the sake of God's name among all the nations. And, uh, but it is the close of the book of Romans that ought to draw our attention because in it we find that beautiful doxology uh, from Paul. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed to the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Here is a blessing from the Apostle Paul regarding the God who strengthens his church according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus. The gospel itself, he says, is a revelation, is the revelation of God's mercy made clear to us through the person of Jesus and the prophetic writings and that this is now made known to all the nations. And to what end, does he say? To bring about the obedience of faith. The gospel is the revelation of God that is carried by those who have received it into the world for the purpose of increasing the kingdom of God on earth by faith in his name. Make disciples of all nations, in short. Fourth, making disciples of the nations is commanded by Christ. This is certainly the most obvious reason. We don't need to go into detail uh, about it, particularly because we spent all last uh, week uh, talking about Jesus' authority to make such a demand of his disciples. But let us not neglect the basic fact that this was the chief command recorded by Matthew to his disciples by the resurrected Messiah. We already referenced uh, Luke 24 earlier, wherein Jesus on the Emmaus Road told his disciples that the divine purpose of his sufferings and resurrection was for repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in his name among the nations. So what we understand here then is that it was Jesus' vision of what the church would do 
to make disciples of all nations, in which he uh, shared in, in Mark chapter 14, 9, that the gospel would be proclaimed throughout the whole world. The longer ending of Mark echoes this as well. In chapter 16, recording Jesus as commanding his disciples to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel in, all, in the whole creation. And so we have to remind ourselves, we talk about make the disciples of all, all nations, you know, that, that, that command is going to the disciples. Well, that command, all the nations, well, we're one of those nations that Jesus was talking about. We're not the Jewish people. We're not the Jewish disciples that we're, that we're following. It was to the Jew first and then the Gentile. We're the and then part, right? We are the Gentiles, part of the Gentiles, brought into the covenant of grace by faith through the proclamation of the gospel to the nations, through the fulfillment of this command. To make disciples of the nations, to support that work in the world near and far, is to live in obedience to the command of our Savior. It is to live out an ex the expression of our love and gratitude toward Him for our own salvation and our earnest desire to see others brought into it with us. And fifth and finally, making disciples of the nations is, uh, uh, is part of God's plan for the end. Making disciples of the nations is part of God's plan for the end. Jesus declares that making disciples of the nations was a fundamental part of the end plan that God had, as recorded in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, where he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, some have interpreted that, that, that verse, these words of Jesus, to, to mean that when we have shared the gospel with every nation or distinct people group, then Jesus will come. It's really just a numbers game, you know, and they, they can give you the percentage that we've hit, and, you know, we need, we, need, we need to increase that percentage. And while we would commend the zeal and the sacrifice that go into that effort, that is a gross oversimplification of what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying it's a numbers game. But we know that disciples are made by faith in Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And who is it that carries that word out throughout the world, fulfilling that end time plan of Christ, of God in Jesus, except his disciples who are going forth to make disciples in obedience the command of their Lord. And so our mission as the church and our, and our support of the work of missions are both directed with a singular aim to fulfill the command to make disciples of all nations. There are Christian parachurch ministries that come along that don't actually fit within that They'll say, we're doing this valuable work, doing that valuable work. And that's true. That's sure. But everything the church does should be in support of the command to go and make disciples. Otherwise, why are we doing it? What is the purpose of it? Why are we spending uh, energy and money and resources and things on this if it's not in fulfillment of the command? 
that God has given. Because in so doing, in obeying the command from Christ to make disciples of all nations, we are fulfilling the plan of God and moving ever closer to that day when the end will come, when Christ will return and the fullness of his, of his glory will be brought in. As I was thinking about all this, I, I went to a place to just envision something that we would all naturally envision and think about if you're thinking about all these reasons about why, uh, why we must make disciples of all nations. And I was thinking about NASCAR. And, uh, and so uh, when I moved to Georgia, I discovered NASCAR. I found out NASCAR existed. And I, and I, actually, and I was like, this is actually pretty interesting. So especially if you go to one of those races, it's pretty intense. You know, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but what's always amazes me is when, those, is when they go into the pit, right? And when you go into the pit, all of a sudden just all these people just appear out of nowhere. Like this is just whoosh, just going around and everyone's doing their job. They're fueling, they're changing tires, they're, do, they're doing all kinds of different stuff. But everyone has their job. Everyone's doing something different. But they're all working uh, together with from the driver to the pit crew to the team owner, working in service to a singular mission. Win the race. Likewise, we see that everything in the church, from our mission to our support of missionaries and everything else going on down, is done in fulfillment of the command to make disciples of all nations. And so we commit ourselves as disciples of Christ to this singular mission of making disciples of all the nations through our life here at the church, and by partnering with missionaries, other believers, other disciples who are going out into the places that we can't go or that we have not been called to, and we make disciples of all nations then, because it is part of God, the fulfillment of God's promises and prophecies in the covenant. It is part of the purpose of our redemption, of why we were redeemed, was to make disciples it is commanded by our Savior and Lord, and it is at the center of God's plan for the end of all things. So let us ponder today how we might walk in greater faithfulness and obedience to the command that Christ our Savior has given to us. That we may take the gospel of saving grace that is bringing eternal life to lost and dying sinners, that they may be saved just as we have been saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mission, the great commission that you have given to us through your blessed Son, Jesus Christ. That it is not just some arbitrary, random command that Jesus has pulled out of nowhere to give us to go do something deep and important. But that it is actually in the, in the flow and fulfillment of the redemptive history itself of your redemptive design that finds all its, its purpose and, and fulfillment in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that wherever our church is out of alignment with the commission that we have been given to go make disciples of all nations, starting with our own nation and with those to which, in which our, our, our missionaries are serving, the communities that they are serving both in, in the domestic areas and in the foreign, area, uh, foreign areas as well. Lord, we pray that wherever we are out of alignment, that you would bring us into alignment through repentance and faith. And Father, we pray 
that you be glorified in the midst of your people. May you be glorified by your people as we worship you, as we follow you, as we walk in obedience to your command. And indeed, may you make disciples through our church and may you be glorified in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's